If you didn't listen to yesterday's episode, I highly suggest you do. It's going to drive the point of this entire podcast home. It's hugely important. You're not going to like it. Read the description of that podcast. Take it seriously. It's uncomfortable. I'm talking about innate hatred. Innate human hatred being unleashed. Something that is part of all of us. It's evolutionary, man. I like to talk about how the human the human species is is sort of split. It's the god devil parable, right? We've got half of us that have evolved. Half of our psyche has evolved. The other half, the devil side. Still an ape full of all those apely aggressions. They're suppressed, repressed. They can be manipulated. We're going to be talking about agitation and integration propaganda. Coming from the book uh, Propaganda, the Formation of Men's Attitudes. The author's name is Jacques Ellul. Don't worry about spelling it. If you want to pick it up, I'll have it in the description uh, section of this podcast, as I think I do for pretty much each and every one of these. Agitation propaganda. I've been talking about this for weeks. This episode is going to lay this bare for you. And you're going to be able to see, I think, how we are basically ripping ourselves apart with it and how it's unleashing those hatreds I talked about pretty much through the whole episode yesterday. Integration propaganda, you'll see, is the flip side of agitation propaganda's coin. Agitation propaganda is how you're riled up. And then when they're done with you, when you've served your beast of burden purpose, they have to redomesticate you, put you back in the fold, so you're not ripping shit up. That's the integration propaganda part. So yeah, gets a little intense at times. Be prepared for that. Otherwise, enjoy it. Thanks for clicking in. We're going to talk now about uh, the specifics of agitation propaganda. And the one thing that propaganda unleashes, the one thing that this type of propaganda unleashes the easiest and the one thing that is the hardest to suppress once it's been released, once the ape gets a taste of the blood, the one thing that can't be put back, or I should say the one thing that's the most difficult to put back in the bottle, is hatred. You don't go hug it out. You don't forget about everything that was said, everything that was done, while you were in the heat of your primal rage. People don't forget that stuff. They want revenge. And good luck putting the pieces back together again after Humpty Dumpty's fallen off hate's wall. Agitation propaganda is the most visible and widespread type of propaganda, and it generally attracts all of the attention. It's glitzy, it's dramatic, it's what you think of. And it's most often subversive propaganda. It has the stamp of opposition. Led by a party seeking to destroy the government or an established order. This is the propaganda of insurgency. Seeks rebellion. It seeks conflict. And agitation propaganda has always had a place in history. I'm going to bend your noodle here in a minute. All revolutionary movements, all popular wars have been fed by such propaganda of agitation. Spartacus, the communes in China, the Crusades... The American and French Revolutions. Have you read anything by Thomas Paine? Those old Revolution-era pamphlets. Just go read a few paragraphs of them, maybe a few pages. 
It was a perfect example of how agitation propaganda was used against the British in our own revolution. We don't see it that way. Oops. We don't see it that way. Of course we don't see it that way. Well, that's exactly what it was. To inflame passions. To incite hatred for the enemy. They have wronged us. They have oppressed us. They are tyrants. We are being oppressed we poor colonists are being oppressed by taxation without representation. We hate you. We must fight you. That is agitation propaganda. It's classic Americana common sense, right? It's also a piece of agitation propaganda. Read it again. Read it through those eyes. According to Alul, agitation reached its height. As of 1965, anyhow, I would amend this. But according to him, it reached its height with Vladimir Lenin in uh, the Soviet Union. It is most often an opposition's propaganda, but the propaganda of agitation can also be made by the government towards its people. This is the piece that I played for you to open the last segment. When a government wants to galvanize the public to mobilize the entire nation for war, it will use a propaganda of agitation against an external enemy. This is weapons of mass destruction. This is mobilizing American support for entry into World War I. I mentioned that earlier. It inspired an entire propaganda complex, an entire propaganda industry in the United States called Public Relations, founded by Edward Bernays. He just changed the name of it from propaganda to public relations. If you or your child is thinking about entering the public relations field, he wants to be a propagandist. This is literal. This isn't hyperbole. That's what public relations is. If you are a public relations expert, you are a propagandist. You are a spinmeister. Simple. Hmm. Some things in life really are simple. That's one of them. <sighs> Subversion is aimed at the enemy whose strength must be destroyed. Subversion is aimed at the enemy whose strength must be destroyed by psychological as well as physical means and whose force must be overcome by the vigor of one's own nation. Psychological tools must be used. Governments also employ this propaganda of agitation after being installed in power. <laughs> this one's fun. Uh, they want to pursue a revolutionary course of action, right? Example, Lenin. Having installed the Soviets, he organized what they called the agitprops, agitation propaganda, and developed the long campaign of agitation in Russia to conquer resistance and crush the kulaks, the resistance to the uh, early Soviets, to demonize them. In such a case, subversion aims at the resistance of a segment or a class, and an internal enemy is chosen for attack. An internal enemy is chosen for attack. Subversion. Most of Hitler's propaganda was propaganda of agitation, too. He could work his sweeping and social economic transformations only by constantly agitating the public, overexcitement, straining energies to the utmost, having people riled the fuck up. Nazism grew by successive waves of what he calls feverish enthusiasm and thus attained its revolutionary objectives. Poking and prodding the public. The great campaigns in communist China Precisely propaganda of agitation. Only such a propaganda could produce the great leaps forward. Remember those from your history class? The great leap forward? Mao. 
I think that resulted in, what, 70 million dead people? Famine? A system of the communes was accepted only because of propaganda of agitation, which unleashed simultaneously, now, physical action by the population and a change in their behavior by subverting habits, customs, beliefs, things that were obstacles to this great leap forward. A political education campaign undertaken from birth. This was internal propaganda. And he says that Mao was absolutely right in saying that the enemy is found within each person. There is an enemy inside of us all, according to Mao. And Alul says he was exactly right. Then he points the reader to Mao's theory of the quote-unquote mold. It's got an entire appendix on Mao in the back of this book. It's creepy. Creating the mold for the socialist man and taking a person from birth and making sure that they fit into that mold. And if they don't, well, (laughs) you're lucky if you don't get executed at some point. I talked about this before. Utopia, this utopian ideal, the socialist utopian ideal is totalitarian because everybody has to be pulling in the same direction. Everybody has to be pulling in the same direction to even achieve the mirage of utopia. Anybody who doesn't want to, anybody who's not sufficiently formed into that mold of the socialist man has to be forced. Is there a better textbook definition of tyranny than that? Or totalitarianism, authoritarianism? If you're not with them, you're against them. You will be forced. You will be shaped. You will be shaped by force if that's what it takes. And if that doesn't work, you have to be purged. That means you have to be either thrown in a gulag in the old Soviet Union, or just shot. Have you ever wondered why Cuba, the Soviet Union, Communist China, all of these socialist utopias, all of these countries on their way toward utopia always seem to have these prison camps and these mass executions? Hmm. It's because utopia is totalitarian. That if you don't fit the mold and you are not pulling in the same direction and can't be forced and compelled to pull in that direction, you will be eliminated. Maybe that sounds, I know that sounds good to some of you. Any right-thinking human being would be able to see that, but that's the effect of propaganda. That's the effect of what I'm going to get to later on, the flip side of agitation propaganda, integration propaganda. Convincing you that this is actually good. It's not limited to socialist and communist societies either. Propaganda of agitation addresses itself to the internal elements in each of us, but is always, always, always translated into reality by physical involvement in an intense and overexcited activity. What the propagandist does is he releases the internal breaks, the psychological barriers of habit, belief, and judgment. Lul also talks about agitation uh, propaganda sometimes being used to increase productivity, but that agitation propaganda most often is revolutionary propaganda and in the ordinary sense of the term. Thus, communist propaganda in the West, communist propaganda in our part of the world, which provokes strikes, riots, boycotts, all that crap, is this type. Revolutionary propaganda. He says that the propaganda of Fidel Castro and that of Ho Chi Minh before he seized power and others were the most typical recent examples. And, that, and again, that's, that's 1965. 
Propaganda of agitation tries to stretch energies to the limit, obtain substantial sacrifices, and induce the individual to bear heavy ordeals. Takes him out of his everyday life, his normal framework, plunges him into enthusiasm and adventure. That sounds pretty cool. Opens him up to previously unsuspected possibilities and suggests extraordinary goals. But, nevertheless, seems to the propagandee completely within reach. These extraordinary goals? Yeah, we can get there. Utopia. How about a messiah complex? Saving the world. Saving everything in the world. Every person in the world must be saved. I think that's pretty extraordinary. How about universal cosmic justice? Hmm? Propaganda of agitation thus unleashes an explosive movement. It operates inside a crisis or it actually provokes the crisis itself or the illusion of a crisis. I'll submit that myself. Would it provoke the illusion? Would it create the illusion of an imaginary crisis? I think it might. Maybe propaganda's evolved. He doesn't say that in the book. Maybe it's come a little ways in 54 years. On the other hand, such propaganda can obtain only effects of relatively short duration. If the proposed objective is not achieved fast enough, enthusiasm will give way to discouragement and despair. I keep thinking about those boycotts. Everybody's outraged about Wayfair. <laughs> week later, they don't remember Wayfair. What is it this week? Olive Garden? Get back to me in a week and see if they're on to something else. Relatively short in duration, there has to be something else to keep them going. These are quick, intense hits that have to be redoubled every week or so. Or every so often, frequently. Because enthusiasm will wane. Discouragement, despair, nothing to get excited about. We're not activizing about anything significant now. Oh, I can go lay down. Can't have you laying down. Oh, no, you can't lay down on the job. He says specialists in agitation propaganda, therefore, break up the desired goals into a series of stages to be reached one by one, a period of pressure to obtain some result, and then a period of relaxation and rest. This is how Hitler, Lenin, and Mao operated. A people or a party cannot be kept too long at the highest level of sacrifice, conviction, and devotion. Mm -mm. Individual cannot be made to live in a state of perpetual enthusiasm and insecurity. After a certain amount of combat, he needs a respite. He needs to rest. <sighs> and a familiar universe to which he is accustomed. Wash, rinse, repeat. Subversive propaganda of agitation is obviously the flashiest. It attracts attention because of its explosive and revolutionary character. It's also the easiest to make. It's the easiest to make. In order to succeed, it need only be addressed to the most simple and violent sentiments through the most elementary means. Appeal to the ape. Appeal to the barbarian. How hard is that? And hate is generally its most profitable resource. Investment and return, invest in a little hate, you get a big return. It's extremely easy to launch a revolutionary movement based on hatred. Based on the hatred of a particular enemy. It's relatively easy to do this. 
Hatred is probably the most spontaneous and common sentiment. It consists of attributing one's misfortunes and sins to another. Another who must be killed in order to assure the disappearance of those misfortunes and sins. Apply metaphorically here if you like. Whether the object of hatred is the bourgeois, the communist, the Jew, the colonialist, or the saboteur, we'll say terrorist here in 2019, it makes no difference at all. It doesn't matter who the object of hatred is. You just need one. Propaganda of agitation succeeds each time it designates someone as the source of all misery. (laughs) Provided he's not too powerful. Provided he's not too powerful. There will be a massive boomerang swinging around and whacking you in the fucking head. The ground is too fertile not to grow antibodies to fight back. I'll continue. Of course, one cannot draw basic conclusions from a movement launched in this way. You can't judge the movement. You can't tell what kind of movement has actually launched this way. No, you can't. And he says, I love this, it's extraordinary to see intellectuals, for example, take anti-white sentiments of Algerians or blacks. Take them seriously, these anti-white sentiments. Take them seriously and believe, and actually believe, that these express authentic, fundamental feelings. Apply at will, here in 2019, if you like. To label the white man... Who is the invader and the exploiter? He says that's true. Of course he is. He has been. But to label the white man, the white man, in general is the source of all ills and to provoke revolt against him is an extremely easy job. But it proves nothing. It proves neither that the white man is the source of all evil nor that the blacks, quote, automatically, unquote, hate him. Doesn't matter. Here's the rub. You ready for the rub? Give me your back. I'll scratch it for you. Hatred, once provoked, continues to reproduce itself. People like it. I like being angry. It's in our blood. Not in my blood. Shh. Stop it. Along with this universal sentiment... Found in all propaganda of agitation, even when provoked by the government, are these secondary motives more or less adapted to the circumstances. A sure expedient is the call to liberty among an oppressed, conquered, invaded, or colonized people. Give me liberty or give me death. Calls summoning the Cuban people to liberty, for example, are assured of sympathy and support. The same is true for the promise of bread to the hungry, the promise of land to the plundered, and in the call to truth among the religious. These are appeals to simple, basic, elementary sentiments requiring no refinement. This is incredibly fun. This section you're going to love. Requiring no refinement whatsoever. What does that mean? Well, it means that exploiting these primal emotions, the propagandist can gain acceptance for the biggest lies, the worst delusions, sentiments that act immediately, that provoke violent reactions, 
and awakens such passions that they will justify all sacrifices. This is a Trojan horse. This is hacking your brain, freeing up these primal sentiments to deactivate any reason that may be there in the first place. Shuts the brain off and turns you into a reacting, raging monkey. Such sentiments correspond to the primary needs of all men. The need to eat, to be one's own master, and and the need to hate. Need to hate. Given the ease of releasing such sentiments, the psychological means employed can be simple. Remember I mentioned common sense earlier? The pamphlet? Well, there's one of them. Also the speech. The poster slash meme in 2019. Propaganda posters are memes these days, by the way. Have I mentioned that? I think I have. The rumor slash I added conspiracy. The rumor or conspiracy. (laughs) It doesn't matter. Why doesn't it matter? All of this is leading directly, directly to Jonathan Haidt once the fuck again. The elephant. Rationalization. Justification. More on this is coming. More on this is coming. Justification. All you need to do when you've got somebody in this state, if they're starving and you're telling them you're promising them food, something like that, or you're, we're going to give you liberty, you oppressed people. Primal stuff, right? You're oppressed. We're going to free you. Primal shit. Releasing hatred against somebody. All you have to do is satisfy that one standard that I talked about from Jonathan Haidt. And it's very low. Can I believe this? Can I allow myself? Can I allow myself to believe this? And when you're in that state, that that standard drops to almost nothing because you really want to believe it. Why? Because the hatred has been unleashed. It doesn't take anything to justify it. It takes next to nothing to justify it. This is what you're releasing. Do you want to combat that? Because it's going to come back. He's talking about doing this like in a, um, like a psyops kind of thing in another country. You need to think about what I'm saying here in the context of this country inside our own borders. Because the bilateral... Agitation propaganda going both ways is doing this to the entire fucking country. Half on this side, half on this side. The hatred that's being unleashed. You wonder why people believe stupid shit? They want to believe it because they fucking hate you. They hate you. And you believe some pretty stupid shit yourself. Why? Because you want to believe it. Why? Because you fucking hate them. Where are you headed with that? Where is it going? Where? Go watch some monkey videos on YouTube. Put some guns in their hands. So yeah, you talk about conspiracy theories. Why people want to believe conspiracy theories. Pizzagate, for example, right? Do you really expect people who are in this state of mind to have any fucking concern about facts and reason? And do you really think that if you're in this state of mind, that you are operating at any higher level than they are? Of course you think you are. 
Of course, you can convince yourself you are. They have convinced themselves the same thing, the same exact way, through the same cognitive channels, the same rationalizing channels. The elephant is rampaging because the elephant is pissed the fuck off. Ryder ain't controlling that. Reason is not controlling that. And once you've reached this point, how in the fuck, how in the hell do you propose or even expect to get that elephant back under control? Either one of these elephants, how do you expect to get them back in the pen? How do you expect to even get them to allow the rider to remount it, to try to soothe it and get it back under control? I hope you're thinking about this in the context of our country, in the context of two mutually competing, brawling, agitation propagandas. This isn't just us, you know, lobbing propaganda bombs over to Canada. Oh, there's more. I'm just getting started. In order to make agitation propaganda, it is not even necessary to have mass media at your disposal. You don't even need it. We have it. And we have it in such a way that he couldn't even fathom 54 years ago. But the thing is, you don't need it. Because, oh, I love this. I love seeing my own shit in other people's stuff. Such propaganda feeds on itself, and each person seized by it becomes, in turn, a propagandist. Yes! Amateur propagandists. I may have talked about that. Amateur propagandists. You do the job for them. They don't need mass communications because you're going to fucking do it. Now, how? No, no, no. He was saying this in 1965. It's now 2019. He was saying this in the era of newspapers and four channels on TV and AM radio. Now... We've got Typhoid Jack and Typhoid Zuck. How much easier is it now with all these electronic, uh, these cable news channels feeding you shit so you can write your own propaganda, so you can go off and agitate somebody else? Making yourself an example. A living, breathing, organic piece of agitation propaganda. Why are we where we are? How are we going to bring the people together? It ain't happening. I'm sick and tired of hearing about it. It is not going to happen. I've seen your stuff. I've seen my stuff. I'm aware of this. I've seen my own shit. I, I read your stuff. I go over to my favorite professional propagandist's page. I call her Moonbeam. And she is just as engaged in this as anybody. She sees herself as like some granola fucking eating Subaru. I don't know. I just imagine her driving a Subaru. She sees herself as just this, oh my God, I'm just so loving and I don't have a hateful bone in my... You should see the crap. She it just reflexively. I understand the reflex. I understand the cognitive twitch. Believe me, I understand it. But there's just as much hate in some of these posts as I see anywhere else. How do you explain, how do you explain posting something that has a woman holding a severed, a man's severed head saying, you're lucky we don't want revenge. How is that not hatred? How is that not hatred? And how the fuck do you not see it? Or have you just gotten to the point where you've embraced it, where you just can't control it anymore because you're so fucking agitated? And then somebody like me sees it and I'm starting to hate you now. 
This is how we go from being really good friends 20 years ago, 25 years ago, not even that long ago, 10 years ago. I don't want anything to do with you now. But I'll go see what you're up to. I'll go see how far you've slid. How much you hate men, I'll go find it. You keep antagonizing me. You keep agitating me. And you know what? I'm putting plenty of stuff out there to agitate you too. This is how it happens. So, if you want to, I don't understand how we got here dumb. Deaf, dumb, or blind? Which is it? Benefit of the doubt, maybe you didn't get it. Okay, fine. I will put my understanding head on. I'll try to be nicer about this. I don't want to agitate you, the Toddzilla listener. (laughs) Do you understand it now? Does it make sense? Has a little light come on to explain how we are where we are? And do you see any solution coming? Do you see any indication? Is Joe Biden going to solve it? Is Elizabeth Warren, the socialist firebrand, is she going to solve it? Bernie, is he going to solve it? Kamala, is Kamala going to solve it? Is another four years of Trump going to solve it? I want to see your work. If you're still talking about coming together and if you're still talking that way, I want to see your work. I want to see something concrete. I don't want to hear any shoulds. I don't want to hear the should come out of your mouth. I want to see exactly, I want to see the roadmap you're using to get from here to there. I've been talking about this on this show since I started. I had this fucking, when I was doing Twitter, I had the winter is coming thing going on. I've been doing that on on Facebook for a couple of years now. Winter is coming. You don't have to like it. You don't have to agree with it. But you had better figure out a way to deal with it. What we're seeing now is only the beginning. It's going to be coming from the left as well. Especially if Trump gets reelected. It's just going to expedite things. If Trump loses, it's going to expedite and raise things on the other side. It's coming. This is a triage situation now. This leads to authoritarianism, one way or another. Because once you get out of control, once we get out of control, and the agitation has reached such heightened levels of hatred, they're going to have to suppress it forcefully. There's this old saying that uh, rights that the government takes away, they don't give back. They'll keep the peace one way or another. And I hope they do. I I hope that it actually comes to that. Because the alternative? Anarchy? In this fucking country? Oh, yeah, well, maybe, maybe that gives you a chubby. Not convinced you'll be able to deal with it. Now, this whole end hate thing, you've seen that, right? End hate, stop hate. It's one of the most ridiculous slogans ever. Especially considering, like I've said, out of the other side of your mouth, you're basically saying, release your hate, Luke. There's a man over there. Release it. Get him. He's the enemy. He's the internal enemy. He's the oppressor. You love your own innate hatred. You love it. It feels good. The adrenaline. The rush of it all. That's the ape in you. That's the chimp. That's the half of the human species that hasn't quite evolved out of the jungle just yet. (laughs) You love your own innate hatred. And once you release it, it feeds upon itself. It feels really good. And you want more of it. You don't want to end hate. What you want to end is them directing their hate 
at the wrong target while you still have carte blanche to lob yours. That's the hate you're talking about ending. Calm down, Gandhi. Your heart on is showing. Continuing on because it does not need a large technical apparatus. It does not need mass media agitation propaganda does not know. And because of that, it is extremely useful as subversive propaganda. It has a life of its own. One other thing, when we're talking about this, uh, appealing to these primal sorts of uh, sentiments inside of people, shutting down reason. Do, can I believe this? Can I believe this? Right? That standard coming from Jonathan Haidt, very low, because you're pissed. And because that's the ball field that we're playing on, it is not necessary to be concerned with probability or veracity. What do I mean by that? Probability or veracity is accuracy, truthfulness. Any statement whatsoever, no matter how stupid, any quote-unquote tall tale will be believed once it enters into the passionate currents of hatred. That explains some things to you. How can people be so stupid? They want to be. They're looking for a reason to be so stupid. Because they hate you. It's not hard to trigger that. It's not hard to provoke that. It's not. It's even easier, less difficult to exploit it. Visceral response. And somebody who wants to be triggered is easy to trigger. What, do you think they're going to go to Wikipedia and fact check? Nah. Finally, he says the less educated and informed the people to whom propaganda of agitation is addressed, the easier it is to make. That's pretty self-evident, I would think. That's why it's particularly suited for use among the so-called lower classes, the proletariat. I will take exception with this because I, I, I agree with what he's saying. I can see that, but I think there's also an element here that it's uh, almost just as easy to use against people who are miseducated. Not just uneducated, but miseducated. I'm coming back to the old Jefferson thing. He who knows nothing is closer to the truth than he who believes falsehoods. So if you've got somebody who has been totally indoctrinated into one propaganda or another, one ideology, one echo chamber or another, why is it any more difficult to influence them with agitation propaganda than it is to, to instigate or to agitate somebody who has no education? I don't see the difference. In fact, I think it would be easier to agitate the echo chamber critter than it would be somebody who probably doesn't know anything because they're probably not interested. In fact, he backs this up. I take exception to that. I don't agree with this. That it's particularly suited for use among the so-called lower classes, the proletariat. I don't think so. Not anymore. Maybe in his day, I can kind of see that. Maybe back then, but not today. He does say, however, this works, that it can rely on some magical keywords... Magical keywords. Communist. Socialist. You fascist. You racist. Children in cages. Children in cages. Concentration camps at the border. Concentration camps at the border. <sighs> this is where I want to beat my head into the corner of a cinder block. Yeah, these magical keywords are believed without question, even though the listener can't attribute any real context or definition to them, especially with things like socialist, communist, fascist. They don't even know what a racist is anymore. Have you seen this stuff? Or a white supremacist? You've lost all sense of connection to the definition and context of the term. 
You just like the word. It's there. It works on you. You don't even question it anymore. You just use it. React to it. You get your visceral response. Visceral woody. Believed without question, even though the listener can't attribute any real context or definition to them. Maybe they don't even fully understand them. I know most people that use the word fascist have no fucking idea what a fascist is. It's been that way since the 40s. Still. You commie fascist, do you know how stupid that is? Do you know how fucking retarded it is to call somebody a commie fascist? Stop. If you've said that in the last 30 days, unplug your internet connection. He says that among the colonized people, one of those words, one of those magical words is independence. He says it's an extremely profitable word from the point of view of effective subversion. He also says it is useless to try to explain to people that national independence is not at all the same as individual liberty. He says no reason can prevail against the magic of the word or slogan, I'll say. And it is the least intelligent people who are most likely to be thrown into a revolutionary movement by such basic appeals. Or I will add, and I will submit, misinformed via isolation off in their echo chambers. Can you imagine Kingzilla? Woo. Speaking of Zilla, ToddZillaX at gmail.com. I don't really have a lot of places to uh, reach me. <laughs> it's intentional. <laughs> I've learned my lesson. I don't invite uh, too many people to offer their unsolicited commentary. But since you're listening to the podcast, and I know you're a loyal listener, a regular listener, I know you are. Thank you. Tons of likes at Gmail if you want to uh, shoot me some commentary. <sighs> this one's hard, man. This one's tough. It, it doesn't offer a lot of hope, you know? And uh, that's the problem here. And it's it, it gets worse. I got to tell you, I, I want to be honest with you here. I mean, I, I've tried to express multiple times through these podcasts that uh, there's not really going to be an episode where Sausage Party Hope springs forth surprisingly and gives you a big hug. It's not coming. The stuff that I read this morning, man, probably not the time to do it right now because there's one more section here. And this is the flip side of agitation propaganda. It's called integration propaganda. And according to Alul, this was the uh, propaganda of developed nations and uh, was characteristic of 1965. In this country today, 2019, this is not the case, in my opinion, anymore. There are elements of it. Now, in 1965, here in the United States, we're talking, what, uh, Chet Huntley and David Brinkley? Cronkite? Oh, I don't remember what was on TV in 1965, but I've got an image of Leave it to Beaver <laughs> in my head. That's integration propaganda. Integrating people into the American way. The American dream, all that good stuff. If you think back to 1965, at least in your head, I mean, most of you probably aren't old enough, but if you, if, you, if you have a concept, a generic concept of what life and the media in particular was like in 1965, yeah, I can see that. It was integration. Indoctrination into the American way of life. And uh, it's the propaganda of conformity, is how he puts it. Related to the fact that in Western society, it was no longer sufficient to obtain a transitory political act, such as a vote. One needed total adherence to a society's truths, in quotes, and behavioral patterns, norms. The more perfectly uniform the society, the stronger its power and effectiveness, 
and each member should be only an organic and functional fragment of that society, perfectly adapted and integrated. The cell in the organism that I like to talk about, the group mind. He must share the stereotypes, the beliefs, and the reactions of the group. He must be an active participant in its economic, ethical, aesthetic, and political doings. All right. All his activities, all his sentiments are dependent on this collectivity, and he is often reminded he can fulfill himself only through this collectivity as a member of the group. Now, you can apply this to ideology today. Integration propaganda is still a big deal, but it's not the primary propaganda that's dominating society, at least as a whole. Now, within the segments of the society, within the ideological camps, within the ideological religion, yeah. This will make itself apparent here in a minute. Propaganda of integration thus aims at making the individual participate in his society or his group in every single way. Long-term propaganda. It's a self-reproducing propaganda that seeks to obtain stable behavior to adapt the individual to his everyday life, to reshape his thoughts and behavior in terms of the permanent social setting. Group mind. Obviously, this propaganda is more extensive, it's more complex than propaganda of agitation, and it must be permanent. The individual can no longer be left to himself. All right. Now, unfortunately, it's primarily uh, integration of propaganda discussed in this book. All right. Most of the stuff that he's talking about pertains to integration propaganda. In the author's mid-60s viewpoint, all right, it was the most important of his time despite the success and the spectacular character of subversive propaganda. It still applies today, but it's not the dominant one. I think that agitation propaganda, especially specifically in this country, has taken over as the primary technique. Alul notes right away in this chapter that a final aspect of integration propaganda is that the more comfortable, cultivated, and informed the group to which it is addressed, the better it will work. You're going to be integrated better the more quote-unquote informed you are. <laughs> That's great. Intellectuals are more sensitive than peasants. To integration propaganda. Intellectuals are more susceptible, more sensitive to it than dumb people. Uh, in fact, they share the stereotypes of a society even when they are political opponents of that society. That sounds counterintuitive, doesn't it? It's not. <laughs> he gives an example of French intellectuals who were opposed to the war in Algeria. He uses that example a lot. They were hostile to integration propaganda. Right, they were opposed to the war in Algeria, but, and they were hostile to integration propaganda, you know, promoting the war. But they shared all the stereotypes and myths of French society, technology, nation, nationalism, progress. It's part of the myth of French society, part of ours too, and all their actions were based on those myths. They were thoroughly ripe for an integration propaganda because they were already adapted to its demands. Their contemporary opposition, their current opposition, their temporary opposition to this war with Algeria or in Algeria was not of the slightest importance. Just changing the color of the flag was enough to find them again among the most conformist groups. There's one essential problem, though. When a revolutionary movement is launched, it operates with agitation propaganda. 
But once the Revolutionary Party has taken power, it must begin immediately to operate with integration propaganda. That's why I call it the flip side of agitation propaganda. This is the way to balance its power and stabilize the situation once they've taken the reins. The transition from one type of propaganda to the other, it's extremely delicate, it's extremely difficult. After one has for years and years excited the masses with agitation, flung them into adventure, fed their hopes and their hatreds, opened the gates of action to them, and assured them that all their actions were justified, it is then difficult to make them re-enter the ranks, to re-indoctrinate them into a system to integrate them into the normal framework of politics, economics. What has been unleashed cannot be brought under control easily. Particularly habits of violence or of taking the law into one's own hands. People like that. These disappear very, very slowly. Making it worse, the results achieved by revolution are usually deceptive. They're lying to you to get your support, to agitate you. And just seizing power, it isn't enough. The people want to give full vent to the hatred developed by agitation and to have the promised bread or land or justice or whatever. Whatever the agitants promised them, they want it. (laughs) Hey, we want, give it to us. Fuck you, pay me. And they want it immediately. It's ours, we earned it. Subsequently, the troops that helped in the seizure of power rapidly become the opposition and continue to act as they did under the influence of subversion propaganda. Pick an example. The old Soviet Union after the revolution, you can use Cuba. Cuba's beautiful for this. Che Guevara. Oh, the idealistic revolutionary. Leading, you know, execution squads afterwards, purging the society of people he couldn't knock back into line. Former allies put in front of a firing squad. The newly established governments must then use propaganda to eliminate these difficulties and to prevent the continuation of the battle. Ah, but this must be a propaganda designed to incorporate individuals into the quote-unquote new order to transform opponents into collaborators of the state to make them accept delays in the fulfillment of these promises. Hang in there. Hang in there. You get it. You get your cosmic justice. It's coming says generally only one element, hatred, can be immediately satisfied. Everything else must be changed. Obviously, this conversion of propaganda is very difficult. The techniques and methods of agitation propaganda cannot be used. Not the same thing. Same feelings cannot be aroused. You can't be riling people up. you got to calm them down now. Other propagandists must then be employed. Totally different qualities required for integration propaganda. Uh-huh. Greatest difficulty is that agitation propaganda produces a very rapid and spectacular effect, whereas integration propaganda acts slowly, gradually, imperceptibly. After the masses have been subjected to agitation propaganda to neutralize their aroused impulses with integration propaganda without it being swept away by the masses, <laughs> it becomes a little problem. Bit of a problem there. In some cases, it's actually impossible to regain control of the mob. He uses the Belgian Congo as a good example. He says that they were incited since 1959 by Lumumba and his propaganda. 
Uh, first released their excitement by battling amongst themselves, and then, once the uh, black government was finally installed, they ran wild. It was impossible to get them under control. I don't know a lot about the Belgian Congo. I'm curious now, though. That was the direct effect of Lumumba's unrestrained propaganda against the Belgians. And it seemed to allure that only a dictatorship can help uh, the situation. He continues by saying that in some cases, agitation propaganda leads to a partial failure. Sometimes there's a very long period of trouble and unhappiness during which it is impossible to restore order. And only after a dozen years or so of integration propaganda can the situation finally be brought under control again. He says that obviously the best example, at least in 1965, to that point was the Soviet Union. As early as 1920, integration propaganda conceived by Lenin was employed, but it dampened the revolutionary mentality only very slowly. It took a long time to get rid of that revolutionary mindset. It was only after 1929 did the effects of uh, agitation propaganda finally disappear. He used the uh, Kronstadt Rebellion as an example of that. have to read up on that. He goes on to say that in other cases, the government must follow the crowds. <laughs> Sometimes can't be held back once they're set off, and the government is forced step by step to satisfy appetites that are aroused by agitation propaganda. I'm sensing and smelling social media here, this bilateral reactionary radicalization that I like to talk about, the Tea Party, the Green Tea Party, the Woke Flakes, yanking their parties to the extremes of each side. <sighs> I really wish this guy was alive to see today and talk about it. <laughs> He says that the government having to follow the crowds was partly the case, at least, with Hitler. After taking power, he continued to control the people by agitation propaganda, and he had to hold out something new all the time on the road to war. Rearmament, the Rhineland, Spain, Austria, Czechoslovakia. Keep offering something. The propaganda aimed at the SA and the SS was agitation propaganda, as was the propaganda pushing the German people into war. Between 37 and 39. At the same time, the population as a whole was subjected to a propaganda of assimilation. This is interesting, and I think this applies to us today. Hitler used two kinds of propaganda simultaneously. You see this on every newscast. I mentioned this in the other episode. You see this on every single newscast, every single hour of every single day. Agitation propaganda here. Propaganda of assimilation here. Them bad, us good. Also in the Soviet Union, agitation propaganda was used against the imperialists and the saboteurs. And for the fulfillment of the plan, employed simultaneously was propaganda of integration into the system. Now, they used different arguments in different media. Things like political education, youth movements, and so on, and so on, and so on. Political education and youth movements. Getting them young. It's another aspect of this. Written in 1965, remember, uh, he says that uh, this was exactly the situation then with Castro in Cuba. Says he was incapable of integrating and could only pursue his agitation propaganda. 1965, Cuba, Castro could only pursue his agitation propaganda and predicted that this would lead him inevitably to dictatorship. He said probably war as well. He came close. On the other hand, other regimes have managed perfectly well to pass from one propaganda to the other and to make integration propaganda take the lead rapidly. Examples he used, North Vietnam and China. 
said that since uh, 1927, Mao's propaganda had been subversive, made appeals to the most basic feelings in order to arouse revolt, lead to combat, conditioned people, people who relied on slogans. At the same time, as soon as the individual was pressed into the army, he was subjected to an integration propaganda that Mao called political education. Gave these big, expansive, long-winded explanations telling the victim why it was necessary to act in a particular way. Used a biased but seemingly objective news system set up as part of that propaganda. Ooh, that sounds familiar. Behavior was heavily regimented and disciplined. An integration of the revolutionary rebel into a highly disciplined, organized, and regimented army went hand-in-hand with his intellectual and moral indoctrination prepared him to be taken into custody. I love that phrase. Prepared the guy to be taken into custody by integration propaganda after the victory. Prepared him to be inserted into the new society without resistance or anarchical excursions. Nice. According to Alul, this patient and meticulous shaping of the, quote, whole man, this putting into the mold, as Mao called it, was certainly his principal success. Of course, he began with a situation in which the man was already well integrated into the group, and he just substituted one complete framework uh, for another. And also, he needed only to shape minds of people who had very little education, at least in the Western sense of the term. Plenty of political education. (laughs) So that they uh, learned uh, to understand everything through images, stereotypes, slogans, and interpretations that he knew how to instill. Under such conditions... According to Alul, integration was easy and practically irreversible. And finally, lastly, it's a long one, the distinction between the two types of propaganda partly explains the defeat of propaganda in Algeria since 1955. He loves this example, but this, this, this actually helps. On one side, he says the propaganda of the FLN, the revolutionaries, was an act of agitation designed to arouse feelings of subversion and combat, right? And against this, the French army used propaganda of integration, of assimilation into a French framework and into the French administration, French political concepts, education, professional trading, and ideology. Be French, right? He says there was a world of difference between the two as far as speed, ease, and, most importantly, effectiveness. It explains why, in this competition between propagandas, the FLN's agitation method won out at almost every stage. Agitation propaganda kicked integration propaganda's ass in Algeria. Doesn't mean that the FLN propaganda reflected the real feelings of the Algerians. Great example here. He says that if some say you are unhappy, so rise and slay your masters, and tomorrow you will be free... While others say, hey, we'll help you, we'll work with you, and in the end, all your problems will be solved. Well, between those two, (laughs) little question as to who's going to command allegiance. Slay your masters! And then finally, he wraps up by saying, in spite of everything, however, integration propaganda is, slash was, by far, the most important new fact of our day.